Welcome to every horror movie on Netflix. We're here again. We're the show that watches and reviews and discusses and all that stuff for every single horror movie on Netflix. We are the show. We are the show. And it watches who are and discusses we? and does all that stuff. And who are we? I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Stephen. And we're here. Uh, we're going. We're usually doing alphabetical order. Long, long time fans of the show will know we always do alphabetical order. But and we're barely breaking from it this time. We're barely <laughs> breaking for it. But we did spin the wheel of death last episode. And Steven got to pick a movie to watch of our own volition. Mm-hmm. And he picked, or mine at least. He picked Before I Wake, the Mike Flanagan opus. And tell us about this movie <laughs> a little bit and why you picked it. As opposed to something further down the alphabet. Yeah, uh, because, because I, I saw it recently. This is a movie I've known about for quite a while. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan pre-Gerald's Game. Which you I, wouldn't consider yourself a fan again. Uh, not a fan again. <laughs> um, definitely not after this one. Um, no, it's a, this movie. So it, it, it was made several years ago. I think it was supposed to come out right after Oculus before Hush. Yeah. So like 2013, Relativity, Relativity Media, the company that uh, finances the movie, went out of business. So it got released overseas. Not even a DVD over here. Relativity is done. I guess so. Damn. Um, this is their swan song. <laughs> so Netflix kind of co-opted it. It's another one of those movies that this says a Netflix original film. It's not. This movie was made in like 2014, 2015, and uh, we're just finally getting it now. So I was just kind of curious to see how it would hold up when these types of things sort of sit on the shelf for a while. You wonder. Um, our culture changes so quickly, and, and I think technology is changing so quickly. Uh, my curiosity was is this movie going to look like it was made three years ago? We can get into that later. But I was curious. Mike Flanagan is one of the few people in the horror industry now that I think we can legitimately say is kind of an auteur. He's a name that people recognize. He's got his own brand. He's like Netflix's in-house horror guy now. Uh, So why did I pick this movie? Because I watched it a few weeks ago, and I think I texted Patrick that I thought it was how did this get made level bad. And I wanted to give it a second shot. I don't even remember that. Wow, we're just right up front with uh, uh, I said I wanted to give it a second shot. I'm not telling you so how would I felt. You, so would you view it, cute or screw it? The first viewing? Uh, view it. It's, it was hilarious. I, I, thought, I thought it was a comedy. Uh, second time around, we'll, we'll get into it. But that, that's why I picked it. And also, um, I'm representing Flanagan a little bit today with my Haunting of Hill House t-shirt. Because he is currently working on a 10-part miniseries for Netflix of the beloved Shirley Jackson book. Which I'm pretty stoked for. And Mike Flanagan... He's someone I want to like so badly. He made one of my favorite horror movies of you know the last couple years, which was Ouija Origin of Evil. I don't mm-hmm. know if it would still be my favorite if I watched it again, but I had a great time with that movie. Whenever you watch a Mike Flanagan movie, you know it's going to be better than average. Or at least so I thought. But he's a very frustrating director because he seems like he's perpetually on the verge of something great and mm-hmm. then fucks it up in every movie. <laughs> You would say he fucks something up in every movie? Yeah. Huh. Because I feel... um, I like Mike Flanagan. I don't like Oculus very much. I'm going to withhold judgment on Before I Wake until we get to rating it. Um, But I really like Gerald's game. But Uh, he 
shit the bed in Gerald's Yeah, game. but that's Stephen King's fault. Uh, it's not Stephen King's fault. As of, as I mean, a, he could have remade. Yeah, as, I mean, as a filmmaker, he, he could have, have chosen to, so to just drop to that it. unnecessary epilogue. Which I, I, I do feel like there's. It's interesting. Uh, off cast, Chris made a comment about the the Moonlight Man regarding something that occurs in this film. Uh, which I don't think is a spoiler, and I do feel like there's a there's a chunk of this movie that very much gave me kind of the unnecessary epilogue. Absolutely, uh, it makes the exact same unnecessary epilogue mistakes yeah. as Moonlight Man in Gerald's Game. I think so. I think he's a filmmaker who like he's got good ideas. He's clearly very indebted to King, and you can see that. I mm-hmm. many times watching this movie, I thought this would work better as a short story. This feels like a Stephen King short story that never existed. I just don't feel like he's that that recognizable of a filmmaker like i don't think the level of craft is quite there i think in gerald's game he definitely kind of kind of upped his game because i can think of a better word so to speak so it's interesting to look back three years to see how much he's really developed just as far as being able to to move the camera and do the job of a director yeah and i still i i do feel like he made a lot of the same mistakes in this movie that he continues to make yeah, he's my kind of director, though, in that he's not... I mean, I appreciate visuals a lot, but I'm a, a lot more about performance and narrative, and he likes the kind of narratives that I like, and he <laughs> he has the connection with actors that I like, and I think that's why I respond to him a lot. I also heard a pretty lengthy interview with him on... I think it was the Empire Filmcast, and he just seems like his head's in the right place. Like, I like listening to him talk. He, he sounds, sounds like, like a cool he's on this. Yeah, he yeah. sounds like a great guy, and... I mean, I, I can identify flaws in probably pretty much every one of his movies that I've seen. But on the whole, I've enjoyed just about all of them, except except Oculus. That was the first Mike Flanagan movie I saw. And yeah, wasn't big on that. Didn't turn your knob. Did, <laughs> did not turn my knob I, to, to reference a little joke we had before the cast. I don't like Oculus at all, but he he's a, yeah. he's a very technically competent director. Like everything looks and sounds good and the app performances are good and stuff. It's just, he makes some creative choices that I just hate in every movie. Did he write Gerald's game? I don't know. He must have, because I mean, the, the legend goes that, uh, when he was f- working on, I think Oculus is far, that he far back have. room, even uh, has anybody seen absentia? No. There's a movie he made before Oculus. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. like a feature film or not. Apparently he used to carry around the, a copy of, Stephen King's Gerald's game with him when he would go to meetings like that's in his back pocket he wants to make this movie so he must have written the screen he wrote it yeah with another guy him and another guy wrote it who's the other guy because I think he co-wrote this too Jeff Howard it's a simple story you got a young couple I I say young couple they're a normal aged couple they've lost (laughs) a son in a what's normal age that sounds pretty ageist there yeah right they uh I don't know they're like you know upper 30s mid 30s and they have a 40? Who gives a fuck? Mid-40s. Try, um, Thomas Jane is mid-40s trying to look like he's in his mid-30s. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Thomas Jane with some fucking hair. Love is that hair. a wig? I don't know, but it doesn't look good. He looks like he's auditioning for, like, like the Hercules TV series <laughs> with Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> well, I thought it looked great. His hair? I thought he looked great and the hair looked great. All right. But, yeah, they've it's a couple, married couple, and they've lost a son to a household accident and they're grieving and as part of their grief they take in a foster child and the foster child it turns out has the uncanny ability to when he sleeps summon things from his imagination which are sometimes good things and they're sometimes bad things well yeah his dreams basically come to life his dreams he, come to as life as he sleeps yeah and, and he's limited to dreaming about certain 
things. What we see yeah. seems to have some limitations. And then the Foster family, you know, kind of uses this to their own advantage for a bit to kind of bring back rem- reminders of their dead son. And then it kind of, you find out maybe sometimes you shouldn't. It's the same moral as any good Stephen King story. Sometimes dead is better. You know? It's very pet cemetery. Yeah. I leave felt. leave it, your dead yeah. son in the past. Don't try to bring him back through some other kid's dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the two leads in this movie, we've got Kate Bosworth as the, the wife and Thomas Jane, who I love Thomas Jane. He can do no wrong except really? for that fucking haircut. All right. Uh, as as the uh, the bereaved couple. What do you love Thomas Jane for? I, I don't I don't disagree. I just have never seen him in anything where he like that I can think of where I was like, wow. wow I just feel yeah. like it's always a delight to see him. I mean, the thing that immediately springs to mind is Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. Who does he play in Boogie Nights? He's in sort of like when they sort of cut to the 80s, the Coke scene with Alfred Molina. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. And the the boy in this movie, uh, a pre-fame, uh, pre-Oscar nomination, Jacob Tremblay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from Room, yeah. who I think is great. You know, one thing yeah. in these movies about creepy kids or kids that have creepy abilities or that, that sort of uh, instill fear in the adults. Yeah, he's not a creepy kid. We he's not a creepy that. kid. That's I guess that's what I'm getting <gasps> to. He's not a creepy kid at all. He's really endearing. And and really kind of charming. Uh, there are a couple of scenes where nothing overtly scary is happening, and he kind of did creep me out just by being himself. But I like the way this movie handled him as I don't know a real person who's yeah. who's got a problem just like the adults. He's that, a, he's a victim as much as anybody yeah. from his condition. That kid is amazing. I just I mean he he was great in Room, and I I just don't understand. You know, I, I read about with this movie, someone like had to sit down with him and explain each scene to him verbally because he wasn't really old enough to read the script or get it. Um, and I, I just don't get how a kid can be that good. He just seems so natural and, and very sweet, but also creepy, as you guys said, at the same time. Yeah. He's he's great. A lot of it's the framing. We see a lot in this movie from uh, it's one of the things I like most about it uh, in movies that involve uh, sort of a. I, again, I don't want to use the word creepy kid again, but the, the, he's sort of playing against that archetype. You don't see a lot from the kid's POV, and there's a lot in the framing in this movie that really shows us the house, how big this house is around him. Often we see him in these like extreme wide shots when he's like going down to get a soda out of the fridge. That's one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And this little tiny person in this big room just throws one glance at the camera and has so much menace, doing almost nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he literally just turns and looks towards the adults or seeing it from their point of view and it's creepy as hell we understand that this kid is in a world that is uh th- that is big it's kind of monstrous and it, it hasn't really served him very well in his life so far yeah because this kid is a kid who's been passed through foster care several times yeah and in fact that's the first thing in the movie you see his one of his previous foster mm-hmm. parents in a bad way um, well, pull, pulls a gun on him. I mean, yeah. It's the first thing we see in the yeah. movie. Uh, we see this cute little kid sleeping, and there's a man sweating, holding a gun, about to shoot the kid. And the, the, the kid, you know, wakes up, and, and so that doesn't end up happening. So you know right off the bat that there's some reason, there's something dark with this kid, and you know he's been passed through foster care, and every all his foster parents have you know been bad situations, and it's like any sort of relationship. If you keep having bad breakups, maybe you're the problem. The kid seems to be the problem. Yeah, but it's not like he's he's Damien, you know. I mean, I guess he is menacing in some scenes, but um, it's it's never like he's possessed. Anytime he seems angry or, or projects some negative emotion, you get the sense of where that's coming from. You know, it's not he's not an evil kid. No, you're no, never you know. afraid of the kid. I don't think. No, 
N- yeah. No. No, if anything, he's seen as an opportunity to everyone around him until things start to kind of fall apart. Yeah. yeah. Kate Bosworth is back back on her bullshit, drugging people, trying to build a perfect family. And <laughs> seen an amnesia. <laughs> oh, man. I realized, and I never realized this before. I learned this from HQ Trivia. There's a question on HQ Trivia about heterochromia. I never realized before that Kate Bosworth has different colored eyes, like, oh, like David, David Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. Well, listen, if you want to join James. HQ Trivia, use my referral code, <laughs> L-F-I-N-O, E-L-E-P-H-I-N-O, 17. Thank you very much. You could win $8.00. 21 cents. Hey, Chris, why is your code Elefino? <laughs> Steve, what do you get when you cross an elephant and a rhino? Oh, gee, I, I don't know. An Elefino? Elefino! Whoa! <laughs> it's my favorite joke. Wow, amazing. The other cast member in this movie that I was like, oh, was Annabeth Gish because I just started watching season nine of The X Files in which she plays probably one of the least beloved characters on x-files if i'm not mistaken right chris following. She really has a following really? yeah but, right. um yeah the, she's fine actually i mean she's she's a decent she's fine actress. in x-files she was brought on as like a potential new lead for the x-files in the ninth season and yeah wait who does she play is she the, like the reyes she's the social worker the social worker. Yeah. oh yeah, in this yeah, movie yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah no i don't care about x-files yeah well i mean early on the <laughs> this this film does not hesitate to explain its themes to us and it starts very very early with mm-hmm. the concept of sleeping and dreaming and explaining to us what insomnia means what somnia means kate bosworth is yeah. in a support group for uh I, I think the support group is dedicated to parents who have lost children yes. right yeah and uh there's a line that the support group leader says insomnia simply means no dreams and what is a child if not our dreams? God, I mean, this stuff is just so cringeworthy. That's why the first time I saw it, I will admit, the first time I saw this film was under the influence of marijuana. And <laughs> I just love to say it that way. And I just had, it just, uh, there was so much about this that was just so, I could tell that on the page it seemed brilliant. In execution, it, it didn't work so well. I mean, this movie is, it's directed with all the skill of like a, a workman television director. Yeah, it reminded and, me of like a faith-based movie or something. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. yeah, that's perfect. I kind of had that feeling as well. And like these support groups, which again are just a cliche that we see in, in any film. It's a crutch. Grief, especially in horror films. It is a crutch. And I honestly feel like I could have done without any of those scenes. They didn't tell me anything about the relationships between the central characters that I couldn't have inferred through their behavior. I don't think yeah. that's a fault of the direction though i mean i feel like that's just bad writing like that's bad line writing i mean they, bad line they were not directed particularly interestingly either but yeah it's bad i like the too. direction for the most part yeah. what did you like about it i mean i thought it was competently directed it didn't stand out to me as Sorry, like tv just, direction being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but no you yeah, like i mean what did you what what about that scene did you dislike about the direction it just looked like every other support group scene I've seen in the film. It was just sort of like, you know, a shot of the group. I don't know. It just was very kind of like I mean, I getting was... generic coverage of the scene. Like, it didn't it didn't feel special in any such way. The direction is not the issue. It's the writing. And it, was, yeah, it wasn't an interesting scene, and the direction didn't make it interesting. I, don't, I mean, what can you do with that scene? Basically, they're like, here's a bunch of information. Here's an exposition dump in the form of like a Q&A with a support group guy. And I was thinking as I was watching the scene, I was like, I'm actually kind of bored right now. That was the first time in the movie where I started to like, my mind started to wander. And I was like, and a lot of this stuff, I mean, she's talking about her relationship with her husband and how they've been responding to the son's death. And I'm like, they could have 
conveyed this information in a much interesting way, much more interesting way, with a conversation between the couple or yeah. just, you know, nonverbal stuff in the we kitchen. We do get a lot of that, though. I mean, that's one thing I do actually like about this movie. I, I, I think there, there are some really smart scenes where we just get a lot from looks between the two of them or, you know, okay, so the um, the main couple's son died. He drowned in the bathtub. The way we find this out is we see Thomas Jane um, installing grab bars in the bathtub. And like immediately we know, like, I mean, that's kind of an unusual thing to do for, you know, a couple that doesn't have a kid. Why would we do this? There, there are lots of little things like that, little clues as to what's going on that eventually get built upon later. I feel like those scenes in the, the support group don't really add anything except a layer of pretension and almost condescension yeah so i'm gonna bring this up now because this is probably something that is gonna keep coming back in our discussion but one of my big complaints with this movie was just a lack of subtlety Mm -hmm. on all like on all levels when you're when you're trying to communicate an idea or especially when it's trying to communicate a theme it just like tells you and it tells you again again and it's like did you get it this is what we're doing this is what these people are thinking you know it's kind of like the old uh uh expression i i'm a journalist and it's kind of like the expression they tell you in journalism particularly for tv journalism tell them what you're going to tell them then tell them then tell them what you told yeah. them this movie does a lot of that that's what they do like if it was just like if it was just he's installing the grab bars in the bathtub fine if it was just them like rehashing the drowning fine but like you see her traumatic flashbacks they bring it up again and again the kid died in the bathtub and it's like i don't know it just seemed like a very the more it went on, the more I wondered, like, do kids really die in bathtubs? I mean, it's like, like, sit up. Well, I don't want to... Like a foot of water. I, mean, I don't know. It probably does happen. I'm it's, upsetting it's, someone right now. It's but. not relevant to the movie, no. but it did distract me because you see a very crisp flashback of the kid dying sure. in the bathtub, and I don't know why he died in the bathtub. He was just, like, flailing in the water. Whose fault was it? That's the thing. I wanted to be able to blame someone. I wanted to be able to say Thomas Jane got drunk and wasn't watching the kid or something, and we never really get around to that, or, like, how... But I mean, the kid's obviously, old. The kid's old enough to sit up in the bathtub. Yeah, and the water's not that deep. It's like eight inch deep water, foot deep water. I, mean, I guess they put him a real deep bath that day. I don't know. That's true, but I feel like that's also getting a little too hung up on yeah. uh, technicality because I I didn't think about that. I was actually very caught up in the emotional uh, journey <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that that I was on there. I, I was. I was feeling for the couple and I was feeling for each time that they had to flash back to that traumatic event and how it got more traumatic each time we saw it. Like each new representation of it was sort of a new level of, of empathy for me where I was like, holy fuck, that would be fucking rough to think about that for the rest of your life. You know? Yeah. I, I guess don't know. The I mean, I got... absolutely the kid was big enough to sit up in the tub, but yeah. I wasn't really thinking well, about that. Well, I would that. have had a problem with it if they didn't insist on, I didn't need to see it played out. I was understanding the trauma of this couple just through inference. And they use the those scenes of the, the flashbacks almost the same way you'd use a jump scare in any other horror movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's pure just trauma. I mean, you're pummeled with this overwhelming sound design and these images of this drowning. I'm like, once for a few seconds, okay, I get it. But to keep repeating that motif just seems cruel and honestly kind of lazy well let's let's talk about jump scares mm-hmm. i was gonna say that's a great segue <laughs> because this a lot of mike flanagan movies have these like jump scares thrown in that are fun like i appreciate a jump scare but at 
some point they get routine and the setup and the delivery is the same and it happens again and again and you're like okay oh the jump scare is coming up oh, there it is and it feels like it's being done out of obligation yeah Oh, I was going to say that in this movie, I was really intrigued because there were a lot of moments that could have been jump scares, but weren't treated as such at all, especially the first time that the kid, what's his name? Cody. Cody has a dream. Because because Cody is actually Mike Flanagan's son's name. Oh, that's weird. It is kind of weird. (laughs) Um, And sort of surreal things start to happen uh, around the house. There's a a mysterious sort of pale figure who shows up behind the the wife in a doorway sort of suddenly but there's no sound cue there's not and it's it. really creepy it's really eerie that yeah. did get under my skin there in were, a way that a normal jump scare would not yeah, yeah. and there were a yeah. number of moments like that where i was like wow good job on not going for the jump scare and actually making it much more creepy as a result yeah okay that happens a couple times but do you understand what i'm saying about no what jump scares are you referring to in this because i'm not Everything in, like, the last hour of the movie where there's, like, creepy things happening and she investigates and then there's a jump scare delivery. Especially in the last act of the movie. Hmm. Lots of jump scares. Lots of screaming. Lots of stuff. I don't know. It does go into just really kind of remote workman-like horror bullshit for for the final third. I, I, I felt the same thing. I just... It didn't... It... I didn't care enough at that point. I mean, my central problem in this movie is, like, Kate Bosworth... What... How is she? I don't understand how she's qualified to be in any film. Like, I thought she was absolutely dreadful in this, and she's the character that I most needed to empathize with. What's her claim oh. to fame? We went over this, I think, with uh, Amnesiac, but like, what's the one? Yeah, movie oddly she's enough, been in? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll that get into the final chestnut. third later, but I love the final third, and I thought Kate Bosworth was great in this. Actually. I thought she was like, she's fine. She made her film debut in The Horse Whisperer and appeared in Remember the Titans before landing a lead role as a teenage surfer in the box office hit Blue Crush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I couldn't tell if, like, just the lack of emotion that was a present on screen with her was, like, a choice or if it's just that she doesn't know how to act. I mean, because, like, there's so many emotions this woman must be going through. And I never really, I never really understood how she felt about anything. In most of this movie, she just seemed kind of like a blank canvas that you could read into whatever you wanted. Yeah. I didn't see it that way at all. I mean, she had such drive to make that kid replace the old kid. I didn't even sense any kind of urgency in that beyond, like, the plot going through the motions of making that happen. Like, her performance just didn't register with me. It, hmm. it was just very kind of sleepy. She was always looking slightly concerned no matter what was going on around her. I see what you mean, but it didn't bother me. I, I thought it was fine, given the context that she's still grief wrought and kind of going through the motions as a character. Sure. I, I guess I need to see her in something else other than yeah. Amnesia. I know. Which was, kind of did the same a, thing for me. Yeah, it's the second movie we've seen her in, and she's just been kind of like one note, like like doped up. Very weird in both. So Yeah, she's got a kind of like a Stepford Wives quality to her. I felt like she yeah. was a robot through yeah. this movie. She's actually, that was creepier to me than most anything else that happened in this. Mm-hmm. It should be said as well. I mean, we've been talking about this but movie But she achieves such an emotional catharsis in this movie. Her character does, and she plays it. I mean, certainly for most of it, she is going through the motions and trying to recover from this thing that happened. But there's definitely some shit that happens later yeah. on, and she plays it. Sure. Okay. You anyway. responded to it. I didn't. Yeah, I did. 
we should mention that this is not really a, a straight up horror movie. I mean, I would say no. this is more in the, I want to call it a fantasy movie, but I think to really categorize it, probably it's probably more of like a, like a supernatural thrill, maybe a supernatural drama even. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's a good way to describe it. I think it needs to be read as such. I think that's one reason there aren't a lot of jump scares. I do think that this movie... I thought there were a ton of jump scares. Maybe maybe I just... Maybe I'm wrong. And more in the more in the latter part of the film, I do agree with you there. But I think for the most part, the beats don't follow the usual horror beats for 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 quite a while. I do feel like it has more in common with. I can't even think of a film to compare it to, but it does have more of kind of a fantasy vibe. For I mean, quite a while. sort of like a Pan's Labyrinth. It's del got Toro it's definitely got that, that del Toro, yeah. like that kind of softy emotional side. There's yeah. some, you know, there's a creature who shows up repeatedly who we haven't talked about much yet, but he definitely there's some del Toro y design elements totally. even just to that totally. creature. Um yeah. I mean there are some beautiful moments in this eh. Yeah, there's beautiful. Let's talk moments. about. Can we talk about the butterflies? Yeah, yeah let's, let's talk about the butterflies. Please. I mean, I think that's what we're yeah. talking about. I mean, it's supposed, supposed to be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, first, I I disagree. I, I I think I see what you're saying. I would definitely say this is a horror movie. Like, it's the number of jump scares and just the trappings and and the way things look and the concept. I don't know. I see what you're saying. It does kind of take its time and pl- it, it does give itself a big serving of chicken soup for the soul, but. <laughs> <laughs> a, a bathtub size, <laughs> yeah, a, a bathtub, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, well, I would say two thirds of it is horror, and then a third of it is like Hallmark movie, fake sure. based movie. I, I could see this on Lifetime, totally. If and Lifetime just like, went out bit. on a limb and hired some director who like had made a horror movie, this is what they would get. <laughs> yeah, if they wanted to branch into horror programming before I wake. That's a, a great lifetime idea. original movie. <laughs> well, if Netflix ever goes under, Mike Flanagan will still have work. Yeah. So uh, the butterflies, though. Butterflies yeah. are a recurring motif in the movie because the kid is obsessed with butterflies. And any time that uh, he starts to dream and, and his dreams manifest in the real world, um, sort of our first sign most times is that butterflies start to appear. And there are these glowing CG butterflies that, uh, depending on the shot, it was sort of beautiful and magical to me and in other shots i was just like oh that's so bad the cg is so bad one thing i did appreciate was that clearly they were just kind of playing with colored spots on the set yeah, yeah. and i was like okay i appreciate that just i like you get thomas jane with these colors around him yeah. and like you don't even see a butterfly in one shot but you yeah. know that they're kind of buzzing around him yeah i appreciated that very in in the midst of these very obviously bad cg butterflies that you could also see the the practical effects that were used to create some of that on set yeah i enjoyed that yeah this is a great shot of thomas jane just looking so i mean he's trying so hard i can't knock him but he looks so dopey when he's trying to catch the butterfly with the cup and he's clearly acting against nothing and he's just like wide-eyed like ghoulia with his jaw hanging open like trying (laughs) to catch this thing and moving around the room and then they clearly had to like animate something in to follow his movements it just looks so cheap it's so misguided you know i thought it was beautiful i didn't have a i had no problems with this movie Minus the support group being boring for quite a long time, I was like, "This is definitely on the road to view it land." And then, it, then it, it oscillated quite a bit. I'll keep you in suspense where it ended up. <laughs> it was only two other places. I mean, <laughs> not that concerned about it. Wait, it oscillated like a fan? Yeah, it went back and it vacillated. Went back and maybe forward. vacillated. I think is what you're saying. Vacillated, whatever. Yeah. It, it, you know, yeah. The butterfly stuff. We should mention that the the kid. 
try a major plot point of the movie is the kid tries to avoid sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because he knows he has this power and he has these nightmares that manifest themselves too, and he doesn't want the nightmares to hurt anybody. So, he has a shoebox under the bed with kickstart, espresso beans. <laughs> well, we had some of those before yeah, the show. <laughs> we had some of those before the show to get into the spirit. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he stays up under the sheet of his bed reading the same butterfly book. Oh, presumably for nine hours every night. Interesting that the butterfly book is what keeps him awake. <laughs> <laughs> he knows everything about butterflies. Everything. And coincidentally, Kate Bosworth's character, who we still haven't figured out her name, um, but whatever. Doesn't Jess. matter. Jess. Jesse, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, is an insomniac since the death of the first child, right. Sean. So basically, she's just the only one up at night to hear the floorboards creaking and see the Moonlight Man. <laughs> 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 which i don't know should we describe the moonlight man or just save that for the spoiler round? oh you're calling him the moonlight man yeah no we should we should i mean his, it he's, really he's in the movie a lot I before I anything, anything to really say about him oh i do i mean there's a there's a creepy creature that the kid repeatedly manifests who he calls the canker man and it's a pale thin demon thing demon thing yeah it reminded me of the Moonlight Man in Gerald's game, is why I'm saying this. In case yeah, it's like a shorter, naked Moonlight Man. Yeah. He looks like something that, like, I grew up loving Tim Burton in Nightmare Before Christmas. It looks like something like a kid who really loves, like, that sort of creepy <laughs> art would draw up. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it on an effects level as, like, okay, this is, like, to the kid, this is terrifying. To me as the viewer... Is silly as hell. Yeah, I did not find this thing creepy. It oh, did look I like it was a creepy. kid's drawing come mm-hmm. to life. I feel like the way it was framed and shot just made it look so obviously like a man in a suit in a made-for-TV like sci-fi channel original. Was movie. it a man in a suit? Because that was like my just question. Shitty CG to me. There's a couple. There's definitely points. a lot of rubber suit business going yeah. on in here. Yeah, especially in like the classroom scene, which we'll we get see to at some we point. see way too much of it. Well, that's another problem, too. And in these movies, you always kind of want to see the monster. You always kind of regret having seen it. Uh, right. Uh, this y- movie, y- you y- have a long time to regret it. You always, it's kind of like it follows, too. You always want to see the monster catch someone, and then you regret seeing what it does to people. It's just not as compelling. I disagree strongly with that. I like seeing the monster in the first place. I like the design of the monster. I kind of like that it looks like a kid's drawing come to life because it makes sense because it sprouts sure. from this kid's imagination in the first place. So I don't think that's a, a knock against it, but in fact works to the purpose that they're that they're going for here. And later, I mean, we're going to talk about this in the spoiler room, but sort of the origin of this creature, it makes even more sense once you discover the origin of this creature. My main problem. Like if we hadn't movie? seen it as much, its origin would not make as much sense. If we hadn't okay. seen it, yeah, that's true. I suppose so, but okay. I don't. I don't. Yeah, and that's just a conflict of interest between me not giving a fuck about its origin and yeah. Mike Flanagan wanting to give me the Hallmark message of the movie. I'm I'm there too. I mean, my main problem with this movie, and one reason I because like on paper I appreciate you know I had that thought while watching like oh that looks ridiculous, but also like oh well this is the kids sort of fears nightmares manifest and it looks like what a kid would come up with and my main problem with this movie is it takes itself way too fucking seriously like to the point that i couldn't appreciate that it was supposed to be a kid's drawing come to life i think of a movie like the babadook that does that wonderfully obviously it's not the kid's drawing but it's a kid's nightmare come to life for the kid and the mother and like that's a movie that's got kind of a goofy looking menace 
that also manages to be terrifying at the same time. In this movie, I just saw a guy in a rubber suit with a Jack Skellington face running around, and I thought it was absurd. Though there are some cool moments before we see the reveal of the Canker Man where the butterflies, the only decent uses of CGI in this movie, where they kind of cluster around in a dark space, and then two lights sort of form for mm-hmm. eyes, and then oh, it sort yeah. of bursts out of that. Yeah, that was cool. That was scary. That was cool. Yeah. It was uh, kind of like Scarecrow vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From Batman. You, you know what was almost creepier than the canker man at any point was pretty much any time sean manifested from one of the dreams oh yeah we haven't even really the dead talked kid. too much about that but yeah the dead kid manifests yeah because they left one Jesse, photo they left one family photo of yeah, the old family one huge family portrait in the house for cody to see and the <laughs> focal point of the living room yeah <laughs> yeah they were like we got no big deal here's our dead son yeah so cody sees it and then he begins you know manifesting in his sleep the visi- the visage of cody not cody of sean yeah and kate bosworth just can't get enough and what's it- great oh, i'm sorry patrick Oh, I was just going to say, and whenever Sean shows up, he looks exactly like he did in the photo. He's in the same outfit and has the same, like, weird smile on his face. Very creepy. Nice performance from that kid. They did some good stuff, especially later on, with the idea that he's manifesting things as he's able to understand them or remember them. And sometimes he gets it wrong, and that's more fucked up than the canker man. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jesse starts like realizing he can do this and taking advantage of it to have more time with her son. So she shows him home videos of the kid, and then he sort of recreates their Christmas together with Sean. And it's good stuff. It's fucked up. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's yeah. great. Yeah, great conflict there. Mm-hmm. You got the conflict with us versus the movie, knowing that this is going to go bad somehow, and then you got the conflict between Jess and the husband. Who the husband's like, yeah, this this ain't right. Dead is better. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, those are hands down the creepiest moments in the film, and it mm. is just a kid standing at the bottom of a staircase, smiling the same way he did in like a cute family picture. Yeah. you know, when it's subtle, it's working. When it's hitting you over the head with shit, which is ninety nine point nine percent of the movie, <laughs> exactly. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think this is a... a, a again, I want to give Flanagan some credit because this was an early effort from him. He'd only yeah. made one film, maybe two. I'm not sure what Absentia is or what its release was like. You know, I think with another pass, a little more time, uh, th- this could have been a really... A, a more effective film for me. Another thing I'll say is, I think if I'd had... If I was a parent, and I do think I do think sometimes about adopting someday. This is a great horror movie about adoption. Uh-huh. Your worst nightmares come to life. If if I had a kid and had that bond with us, <laughs> literally worst nightmares come to life. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Um, then I might it might resonate more with me if I had that sort of paternal instinct yeah. for someone. But the relationship between the Jess and the husband and the kid is nice kind of watching them form their bond and the awkwardness of when they first meet and then they them kind of growing into having a real relationship that's great if a little on the nose by the end of the movie there, i mean there's sweet. some decent character development for the leads here um you know when i first was introduced to the thomas jane character i wrote something in my notes along the lines of thomas yeah thomas jane looks like he's going to be a great foster dad i think it was just something about the hair or maybe just thomas jane's presence in general where i was like oh this guy's going to be the problem but he's not well he's clean cut in the family photo with yeah. sean yeah so he's gone to hair, seed since sean died the hair's a coping mechanism yeah but yeah i mean there's i think 
decent performances at at the at the worst decent performances from the main trio and and they all develop i felt like i knew these people as it went along yeah can i ask a question this is like a discussion question first sure a question that occurred to me as i was watching this is what would actually happen to people who slept as little as the people in this movie oh do? yeah that is oh, they die <laughs> they would you die they die of exhaustion is that, that what happens i don't know kid was up for how many days can you go without sleeping before you just die can you actually die from not sleeping? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. I've never idea. heard that before. But but yeah, it is, it is fucking ridiculous how the kid, presumably, if you don't fuck with him, if you don't drug him, if you don't steal his stimulants that he has in the shoebox, it seems like he would stay awake indefinitely. And he seems and fine. And he seems fine. He, he seems functions. healthier than yeah. I am. Yeah. Well, but I mean, the kid is eventually drugged. We haven't mentioned that, but she gets a prescription for the kid to sleep so that she can right, right, have right. him mani- manifest more all kinds of dreams problems. of yeah. Sean. But Kate Bosworth is an insomniac for most of the movie. And I was just like, these people should be more fucked up. Yeah. And then I was just wondering on a practical level, like what would happen to you if that... There's only one way to find out, guys. We're going to stay up for the next week. We're going to stay up until you hear us again on this show. We're going to watch every horror movie on Netflix. We're not going to sleep until we finish watching every horror movie on Netflix. We're just going to live cast and the reviewing them all. It's <laughs> a great idea. Never sleep. We're going to be dead by like human centipede. <laughs> so yeah, that's what you got. You got a uh, little, you know, mostly horror movie, but with a little bit of family drama, fantasy thrown in. And uh, I don't quite know how to feel. I still don't quite know how I feel about it. But Steve, would you cue it, view it, or screw it? God, I should have put more thought into this. I I'm gonna say screw it. I I think I go watch Gerald's Game if you're interested in Mike Flanagan. I would say like, okay, you know what? But they're I'll, very different movies. They're different movies. But oh god, okay, let's just start this over again. This isn't about. I'm not a fan again. It's not about the Flanagan. Um, <laughs> I would say cue it. This is a movie that's probably, if you watch a lot of horror movies, it's going to come up on Netflix. Who's going to recommend it to you. I'd say watch it passively unless it really grabs you. I think it's interesting to see like one of the most noteworthy names in modern horror. See him back a couple of years. A movie that he didn't get a chance to have released in theaters in the U.S. I think it's an important stepping stone in his career. We can see how he's developed since then. Um, and I think it is like an interesting subversion of the creepy kid movie. Because I think it's very much marketed as that kind of film, and that's yeah. not what you really get when you finally sit down to watch it. Is it a great movie? No, it's got a lot of flaws. I think there are some good ideas in it. Definitely fits into the uh, the Stephen King resurgence that we've had in the past few years, because this does feel, like I said earlier in the show, like the kind of thing Stephen King re- would have written as a short story in the 80s or something. Cue it. Chris, what did you think? You know, I'm so conflicted. This movie was a view it for a long period of its runtime. Then it became a screw it. Then it became a cue it. Then it became a screw it. I think it finally landed on cue it. That's a wild journey you must have had watching this movie. <laughs> it was a wild journey. I was like, oh, this is great. Or, oh, this is going to get good. But You must have felt like you were watching your child drown in a bathtub. If the movie... Uh, over and over and over and over. Too, and soon, over too <laughs> soon. Too soon. But if the movie had completely botched the landing, which we'll talk about in a minute. Holy fucking shit. I hated it. Um, <laughs> this might be a view it. But like I said, it's, it's a different kind of horror movie. So I think maybe a different type of audience would appreciate this. You know, if you're if you like the jump scares, 
you're and you want something that's a little bit more life affirming than most horror movies, you might want to see this movie. So, if you're a fan of Chicken Soup for the Soul or the Hallmark Channel or yeah, Lifetime, and, yeah. sure, go for it. Yeah, if if you want something that has a little bit of positivity in it and isn't just like demons and everyone dies, sure, cue it. Hey, Hi. hold on. I want to ask you a question real quick because you mentioned Mike. The car- uh, Cody is named after Mike Flanagan's son. Do you know anything about like when he... When his son was born, is this movie like a response to him being a father for the first time in his life or anything like that? I don't know. I wanted to do more research. Yeah, no, I don't know. I I kind of wonder because of the same. Okay. It wouldn't surprise me, though. I mean, he softened up for a little bit before he made Gerald's game and And, Origin of Evil. Okay. One last note on Mike Flanagan. You know, I, I look forward to seeing him continue to mature as a director. And hopefully someone slashes his CGI budget, and hopefully someone slashes the last ten minutes of all of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And then it'll be great. All right, Patrick, would you view it, cue it, screw it, or you know anything else you have to throw at us? I would say view it. I I certainly agree with the criticisms of the lack of subtlety in the movie, and I did have problems with the ending, like Chris alluded to, and I think you alluded to as well, Steve. But, yeah, it's a different kind of horror movie. It's very emotional. It is very Stephen King-like, as you said. And one of the things I really like about King is that much as he's known for being, quote-unquote, the master of horror, he's a big softy. And there's this emotional, soft-hearted undercurrent to at least many of his books that I've read that I've enjoyed. And I just like that this is a big kind of softy movie in the end. And as much as I can criticize that, ending that we're probably going to talk about we're certainly going to talk about in the spoiler room uh it just felt earnest to me and and that's how i feel about you know gerald's game to a degree um and some of flanagan's other shit it just feels very earnest like he can't help just putting his heart right on his sleeve and then explaining to you exactly what his heart is and that it's on his sleeve (laughs) and i like that i think that's sweet and even even if i'm like okay come on mike i'm still going uh all right, you know, you're you're not afraid to make kind of a soft-hearted movie in uh in a hard world. Okay, I'm going to stop pontificating now, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> that was talk about fucking explaining your intentions in the most cheesy and unsubtle way possible. <laughs> I wish I could I just flanaganed that yeah, rating. <laughs> I wish I could, could cut the last 10 minutes from your review <laughs> <laughs> and slash my CGI budget. <laughs> but uh No, I enjoyed it a lot. Right. And I was invested all the way through actually. I was too, more Listeners can't tell, but there are um, glowing butterflies coming out from Patrick's hoodie right now. <laughs> you guys can't tell, but I'm glowing underneath my headphones right now. I'm kind of blushing after all that sappy shit I just spit out. <laughs> well, if you want to see some sappy shit for yourself, dear listener, go watch Before I Wake right now on Netflix and turn this shit off. Otherwise, stay tuned for a few seconds and we'll be back in the spoiler room and we're going to tell you everything that happens and explain this epilogue that had me screaming stick around <laughs> screaming um, no. yeah I had a similar reaction to uh, that moment that we're gonna talk about <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ Welcome back to Every Horror Movie on Netflix we're back in the spoiler room and hey you know what a little shout out 
Our theme song, which you just heard and we play at the beginning and end of every episode, is actually original, custom composed by who? This man, Steven. Oh, thanks, Chris. And You're making me blush. And who built the spoiler room? Gregory yeah. Allen. <laughs> who named the spoiler room? Gregory Allen. No, remember he built it by yeah, hand. Gregory built it for us. Well, listen, let's not... He'll get his own shout-out someday. I think he got one last week or the week before. We just gave him one. He just got another one. Listen, the, <laughs> the point is, Steve wrote the theme song. Steven wrote the theme song, and it's great. Who wrote the theme song? Steven. I did. You did. This guy right here. So send your fan mail to Steven, care of every horror movie on Netflix, on Facebook, Twitter, email, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Oh, hey, if you're a composer, if you make music, we could use some other tunes to kind of spruce the show up a little bit and send them our way. Yeah. All we'll ask is that you sign your life away. That seems fair to me. And that your music's not shit. Yeah, if it's shit, we're not going to play it. We won't even message you back. <laughs> we might show Send you us back. good music. Yeah. Send, us, send us shitty music, we'll send you shitty music back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we're back in the spoiler room talking about Before I Wake, the new film from the new American master, Mike Flanagan, which We've is actually been, an old film. I was just going to say, it's not a new movie. We've talked about that. Come on. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I guess we got to talk about the ending. Um, we'll talk about the conventional part first that I didn't really have a problem with. Basically, they lose custody of Cody because <laughs> he falls asleep and kills the dad. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Or he actually gets drunk. The canker man kills the dad. Right. The canker man appears and consumes the dad. Um, Which is pretty weird, the way that happens. It just looks visually pretty creepy he's got like what like snakes coming out of his eyes or something like oh i do not he like that. he like gives him a hug the canker man like, just kind of like envelops him. yeah late, oh that like part i think it's something that happens later okay yeah. it's like he, it's like he's not canker man but condom man and he's kind of just Ew. wrapping himself over that guy and he's like we're pushing and the, it's stretching and he gets sucked in that's apt yeah so um Cody goes off to live in a ward. Social worker comes back and is like, you can't have the baby anymore. They take him to the ward. And then she goes on a... On a uh, what's her face? Jess goes on a mystery. Mommy goes on a little mystery hunt trying to figure out the backstory. And I don't even want to talk about that part. Do you guys want to talk about that part? It's just kind of... We just learn what we already know. I mean, it's like... Yeah, she kind of goes back to, like, the social worker files. He's telling us what he just told us. She interviews one of the foster parents, and it's like... Who's the dad from the uh, beginning with the gun, Yeah. I mean, a couple of little interesting details are included, but, yeah, it's nothing we don't really already know. I mean, really, the only significant thing is that she gets some evidence related to his case, and there's a stuffed butterfly in it. Yeah, in oh, the right. evidence file, and she pulls out the stuffed butterfly. Oh, right, yeah, stuffed butterfly that was made by Cody's birth mother, mm-hmm. who died long ago. Mm-hmm. So she um, ends up finding the ward. She's like, "I got to get him back. He's gonna fall asleep and like kill some people or something." And she goes to the ward, and the ward's already been fucked. There's cocooned people everywhere, chrysalis people. Which I was unclear on who were those people. All the people who worked in the ward. Were they? Yeah, the social worker is one of them, right? Yeah, social worker was one of them, and then, like, orderlies and stuff. I read this, though, as him, like, protecting them, right? No, she, well, you read it that way because she stops and says, a chrysalis 
He's protecting them or something. Oh, like I don't even remember that line. Referencing when Cody explains what a chrysalis is right. earlier in the uh, movie. So he, yeah. now he's using his dreams. He has a little bit more agency over his dreams now. And so he's he's crystallizing people to keep them safe from the canker man. That's how I read it. So I was unclear on this scene, and so I looked at the Wikipedia plot description to see how always a reliable that, source for interpreting well, subtext. But it's at least a source yeah. to interpret subtext, and that plot description said it's all the people the Canker Man has killed in the past. Disagree. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I I didn't see. I, it wasn't clearly explained to me one way or the other. Because you would have seen the husband, right? Uh, at least, right. So I don't, I don't, I, re- I reject that. I'm going to edit Wikipedia tonight and correct that and add my own interpretation. But so she's in the ward and just, we got some little haunted house act antics going on, right? Yeah. Because she walks along and in a pretty creepy scene, she happens upon a room that's designed like the bathroom the bathtub that we've now seen multiple times in which her son died and there's this pretty weird scene where she has to relive it again and realize that it's an illusion and not react to it and walk away from well she it. walks by the room and she hears like mommy yeah something and then she sees a bathtub now what i wanted to happen and i think there's a movie where this does happen but like when you're at a point where you know that you're being fed illusions of shit that is like this kind of happens in a dark song i guess you know that you're being fed illusions of things that you're supposed to emotionally respond to and that are baiting you i would have loved to see her go down the hall and hear mommy and look and see a bathtub and just be like fuck that and just keep walking down the hallway right like there's no reason for her to go in that bathtub room and see the spooks well but i mean she basically does that she basically well yeah uh, but we see the spooks i I, it was very powerful to me that she relived it again in the most intense way we'd seen it yet and then she realized it was a distraction and walked walked away away she walked away from her son drowning again that was yeah so to me that was powerful yeah i guess it's you know support it's thematically and powerful and then we see the canker man and we see the canker man ah you're so jaded you're so jaded he runs at her at the last moment she holds out the stuffed butterfly to him embraces him embraces him and he transforms into cody turns out Canker Man is just a projection of Cody's frustrations and loneliness, and all he needed was a hug the whole time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I loved it. They love the Canker Man, and Jesus. he morphs, and it's beautiful, and everyone gets let out of their chrysalises. And she takes the boy, and she leaves, and the social worker who just came out of a cocoon and is still soaking wet goes down the stairs, and she's like, "Stop!" And she's like, "I'm taking him home." And she's like, oh, "Okay," and then they go home. Mm-hmm. And then at what the point? The part, <laughs> then it, then was when it started offending me. A little yeah, bit. A little out, bit. Fade out. I'm taking him home. Fade out. Directed by Mike Flanagan. View it. Great. Yeah. Then Mike right. Flanagan, it's like we're eating a gourmet meal. And <laughs> that Mike Flanagan comes in. He's like, do you like the meal that I prepared for you? And then he just takes a snow shovel of shit. And he's like, here's your exposition dump. Throws it on the table. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to. Gerald's game problem all over again. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, like, a, a gourmet meal, and then Mike Flanagan's like, you want some dessert? And then he just throws, like, a box of Twinkies on the table. Maybe. And, like, reads the nutrition facts to you. <laughs> as he does it. <laughs> I mean, what? I still enjoyed it. Will someone explain what we're talking about instead of talking in metaphors here? I think Chris is the best, because he's probably even more incensed by I'm it than so I am. I'm so incensed by it. 
I forget how it even starts. I think they're back home. I think they're she, back. Home. Yeah, Jess and Cody are back home. Husband's still dead, and uh, but they're back home. They're like, oh, I love you. Why it's wouldn't like, he be? Well, I don't know because he a lot of shit got undone with the canker man, but they're having a happy life even though husband just died. And I don't know, but they're in bed, and she's like, "Okay, hey, look, I found all these files on your birth mother," and she just lays out in excruciating detail every page of this journal she found that the mother wrote, the birth mother. The birth mother had cancer, and turns out the canker man is actually the cancer man. Uh-uh. Because that's how the young boy read the medical yeah. sheet. <laughs> she says to him something along the lines of, of, I know cancer can be a hard thing for children to understand. And you... Yeah. I mean, she it's, it's, it, it's very exposition. It's heavy. very exposition. She's saying all this stuff to the kid in flowery language. Half of this stuff, I'm not sure she really has reason to know based on the file. But it's like, her body started to change. She knew she had to hold on to you as long as she could. That kind of thing. And then the worst part of it is... So the canker man's catchphrase is, I'll never leave you, or something like that. It's a menacing thing, right? The whole movie. And the kid's like, he said he'd never leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. Turns out, when birth mom was dying of cancer, Cody came in the room to say goodbye to say goodbye one last time and saw the mother who looks like the canker man because she's all wasted away from cancer wait can we talk about how way over the top her makeup is too like ridiculous her eyes are like piss yellow her head looks like it's ballooned twice its normal size it's just i mean i know it's sad she's dying of cancer but i don't think that's what people dying of cancer really look like i mean it just looks absurd no she should have looked like steve jobs (laughs) and then steve jobs should have been creeping around snatching people this whole movie that'd be scary why don't you remake it chris i should there aren't enough movies about steve jobs (laughs) um yeah, so she's there, like, ghoulishly, comically ghoulish. Co- like, it's not even touching, because she's so comically ghoulish. And it so was touching to me. Reminisc- I was touched. Okay. So comically reminiscent of the Moonlight Man, too. And she's like, I'll always be with you. <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys are assholes. <laughs> no, I laughed when I saw the scene. I'm laughing even harder screaming. now. I, I didn't screaming. laugh at all. I was moved. I was oh, moved. So fucking sappy. I was, you know, I was. I was. I was. At the same time, able to hold the concept that yes, it was over the top, while also feeling a lot for those characters. They are so talented, Patrick. <laughs> Look, the idea is fine. The idea is fine. I've, tra- I I've trained my mind. <laughs> you have two things. <laughs> you can hold two things at one time. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Like the idea is fine. The fact that like this is all the horrors that we've seen have been a young boy's subconscious trying to process all his grief and previous traumas and stuff. That's all good stuff. Not bad idea. Just so done in such Just, a heavy-handed manner. Right, exactly. Like, leave some stuff to our imagination. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with that sentiment. I just, at the same time, uh, it's like what I said before. I just, I I appreciate the earnestness, you know. He's just, he's so, Flanagan is so sincere about what he's doing. and He can't help really, really making sure that you understand what he's doing. Right, sure. I I would absolutely embrace this same movie 
done in a more subtle way. Yeah. Uh, it would be better done in a more subtle way, but I'm, I'm willing to forgive it. The, uh, the over the topness. And Steve and I just might be cynical assholes. Like, uh, I'm a, re- I'm know. a recovering cynic. I'm like in cynic, <laughs> cynic too, but I still read this as almost being camp. It's I mean, so it's, it's, it's certainly not intended as camp. No, it's not intended as camp, but I mean, that's kind of what camp is. It's like so sincere that it's ridiculous. Oh, and then after, camp is after that, I'm already screaming. I'm already screaming at the, the visual nightmare I've just seen and the, the cringe of this, this, the story we cut back to jess and cody in bed again and he's like can you read me a bedtime story and she's like here's a story about a mom who wanted a son and a son who needed a mom and blah blah and they all lived happily ever after and then the boy's like good night mom And then, of course, he visualizes a butterfly while he's awake, because now yeah. he has superpowers. Yeah, the, he's learning to control it. Yeah, so I guess there, it kind of leaves the door open to maybe he'll imagine all the people he killed coming back to life, and right. they'll come back to life somehow. Oh, I can't wait for Before I Wake too. <laughs> after I wake. <laughs> after I wake. After I woke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I was screaming. I was screaming, too, but it was it was inside and the screams came out of my eyes in liquid form it was just and it was just so uncannily similar to the ending of gerald's game where in case our listeners yeah there there are definite parallels there the ending of gerald's game is basically the crisis is resolved and then there's a voiceover narration explaining every little detail of the backstory of a relatively minor character and all the crimes he committed and everything that got him to this point and all of his physical deformities are explained medically and like well and and more importantly i think the parallel between the two there is there's uh flanagan and his co-writers in both cases feel the need to uh wrap up the protagonist narrative and assure you that that character is going to be okay that everything that this is a happy ending for that character right which is another thing that i just find kind of sweet that he's yeah. so dedicated to making sure that you know these characters are going to be okay it's not like uh, which also reminds me of king again that's another stephen king thing where it, like even fucking it you know known for scary clown and whatever the last couple chapters of it are all just about like sweet childhood nostalgia layered on thick with a thick fucking knife yeah i mean it's better than having these i appreciate that i think it's sweet it's just not my bag i mean i like my horror with teeth but there's also a lot of shitty horror movies that feel obligated to have like an edgy ending where it's like oh you thought they were okay no they're still in the demon world ah Mm -hmm. so well and i'm not and this is i could have gone that way and I'm not holding this to the standards of a horror movie. I'm just talking about if I liked it as a movie, not necessarily, you know, is it what I want out of a horror movie necessarily? I don't know. I'd have to think about that more, but I, I enjoyed it as a movie. I don't, I'm not a film a particular, not as a particular genre of movie. Yes. I enjoyed it as an film for sure. All right. Yeah. With a capital F. No, I'm, I'm, I'm over, I'm overdoing it a little bit at this point, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said this a thousand times already. I agree with the criticism that it's unsubtle, but I'll forgive it that. 
So unsubtle. This almost feels like a Marvel movie in a lot of ways, or like a prequel to a Marvel movie. How so? Oh, you, oh like he's powers? going to grow up to be a, a superhero. Okay. He's yeah, this feels like an origin story for a Marvel character that I don't give a shit about. I could see that. That's my final statement on this movie. <laughs> it feels like an origin story for the next Marvel movie I'd be super stoked about. All right. Cankerman's going to show up in a post credit scene in the near future. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. There's going to be uh, some secret agents, and they're going to be opening a locked briefcase, and there's going to be a little butterfly doll. Like, oh, shit. Better call somebody. All right. Well, that's all we got to say about that movie, for better or worse. Yeah, and we'll be here when uh, Flanagan fucks up Haunting of Hill House in a few months here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody know? Hopefully we'll still be here. Does anyone know what we're watching next time? Fuck no. We're watching Baskin. We're back to the alphabet where, I mean, we kind of are still... Before I Wake was scheduled to be like three episodes from now, but we did it now. (laughs) And now we're back on track. B.A. B.A. for Baskin. Which like Baskin Robbins? Like Baskin Robbins, we're gonna have fifty-four flavors. How many flavors are in Baskin Robbins? Fifty-four. Right? So fifty-four. No, thirty-one. It's like in the logo. Thirty. It's thirty something. We're gonna ask Google. Thirty-two. Thirty-two hey Google, flavors. How many flavors does Baskin Robbins have? Thirty-one flavors. Thirty-one. Oh. Yes. For the win. Baskin Got it. I, I, that'll I, be I an think, HQ trivia tomorrow night. <laughs> I recently learned though that Baskin is a Turkish film. I think it's a foreign film. Yeah, so I'm thinking. Wait. I think I'm thinking we may be butch- butchering the pronunciation of the title. Well, join us in two weeks. We're going to be watching and talking about Baskin. Hope to see you then. In the meantime, check us out on everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com or leave us a little message on Facebook or Twitter. Tell us what you're thinking of the show, and as always, leave us a review. We love them. What if they troll us? Yeah. What if? What if? What if we want to troll us? If someone wants to troll us, we might troll them back. And you know what? I've been... I'm not proud of... Oh, it's we might. Well, we probably will. I I don't want to admit this, but I've been going down a dark hole of, like, arguing with strangers on Twitter lately. And I just, like, went back to, like, delete some of those tweets because we don't need it out there. But I... My kill rate is fucking high. Oh, wait. Arguing with people from the Every Horror Movie on no, Netflix no, account? Oh, your personal account. Well, I would love to argue with some listeners okay. and be savage to them as well. But, like, <laughs> I go back and, like, I, I look at, like, what I wrote and then, like, what I responded to. And that user is like, been suspended or has blocked me or has deleted their tweets or has protected their account. And it's like, wow. So did you kill them or did they kill you, though? If they blocked you. Yeah, who really dies in that scenario? We're definitely on each other's kill list, though. That's all I got. Oh, (laughs) the music. (laughs) All right. Well, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Jay, because I want to hear that sound cue before the end of the episode, too. I'm Ben Wheatley, director of Kill List. Thanks for listening. (laughs) God damn you, Steve. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. 